BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. everybody welcome back to circle time we have an episode today that i am so excited about i know i've mentioned that i want to make sure that we are learning things that maybe we haven't learned in school and something that really excited all of you was learning more about your financials and all of that and we have someone to help us with all of that today so i would like to welcome our special guest, would you like to introduce yourself to the Circlers? Hi. Nicole. Hi, Circlers. I'm Nicole Lappin. I'm the host of Money Rehab and the only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. That is perfect. That is exactly what we need. I actually yesterday asked on Instagram, you know, if anybody had any questions for you and I got like Oof. a lot of questions. So I kind of tried to put them all together in different categories and maybe we could like just kind of go through and see where the conversation takes us. But I figured since everybody was pretty curious, that's they could kind of guide our conversation. Yeah, let's do it. First of all, how did you get like, how did you get started? <laughs> like, what's your um, background? I, I like? came out of the womb with the Wall Street Journal. Uh, yeah, no, just kidding. I actually am <laughs> the least likely person to be a financial expert. So honestly, if I could do it, the entire circle can do it. I grew up in an immigrant family. So we never talked about money in my house. Uh, there was no Wall Street Journal, not in the delivery room, not on the kitchen table, <laughs> nowhere to be found. I grew up in a really broken home, so ju just needed to start working early on. So got a job. I wanted a job as a journalist. I thought I could make money that way. Uh, little did I know I could not. Uh, but I was asked by a station chief that I stalked in Chicago I went to school there uh, if I knew anything about business news, and I did not. Uh, I knew nothing about business news. Uh, my boyfriend in high school said he wanted to be a hedge fund manager. I thought he wanted to be in gardening. I was seriously dubbed Kelsey because I couldn't hang out with his Wall Street friends. And so this was like my worst nightmare. And so <laughs> I said, absolutely. <laughs> I 
love money all day, every day, twice on Sunday. And I totally lied um, and faked it till I made it. And then I realized I was 18 at the time that money is just a language like anything else. We just didn't have a Rosetta Stone for this language growing up. We didn't learn it in school. Uh, If you were like my family, you didn't learn it at home. Uh, But once you learn the language, like you speak it, I spoke it to the world. Fast forward two decades later, teaching other people how to speak that language. It's like if you go to Japan and you don't speak Japanese, you'll be really freaking confused. And then you speak it and you're like, oh, duh, obviously that's what this means. Same thing with money. Right. Just even like hearing that... (laughs) Makes it so much less intimidating because I mean, I am like, I just turned 30, but I still feel like I I was just saying before we started that I don't even know the answers to like half of these questions that people were sending in. And it's and I feel like if I had learned it earlier on, I probably could have a better grasp on it now. But I just I'm kind of like it's like I'm I don't I still don't know what's going on, really. Well, listen, sister, the first step to any recovery is admitting you have a problem. And the this is true. only problem you can't fix, especially money one, is the one you don't admit you have. Well, there we go. There we go. So I basically, I kind of broadly asked our listeners, like, what kind of financial questions they were having. And I feel like it kind of fell into, like, investing. A lot of people were curious about investing. Cool. And a lot of people same and then like debt and credit card debt and all of that kind of stuff. People had questions on cool. and then a couple like tax questions. Okay. And it, like those were like the main categories, but it really was more like investing and then also debt, credit cards and also like how to save. So like when you're not basically everything. The there was a lot, but I tried to organize it. I, I was going through them all today. And trying to organize it all. But really, like, we can start out kind of general. Okay. My suggestion would probably be, like, maybe start with, because I love steps. I think anything overwhelming broken down into steps and then baby steps is the way to tackle it. So I would say maybe general, if you want, and then building on that, budgeting, savings, then investing. So we're sort of like, cool. Perfect. Love it. But you're the teacher. You're the boss. You're the teacher today. <laughs> okay, I'm the teacher. So yes. Do <laughs> you don't want me to be the teacher today. You are 100% the teacher today. So whatever you say goes. Are you going to call but, me Mrs. Lappin or something like that? Yeah, <laughs> if you want. If you want, we can. Professor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Professor is perfect. So I think generally people, a lot of people were just like, I just need help even understanding what's going on with my bank account. But really, it's like generally how to best set yourself up for financial well-being. And also, I guess that was like one of the more general questions, just like how do you even start making a path for yourself in the financial world? So I was in a ton of credit card debt. I talk about this in my first book, Rich Bitch, and I got out of it in a way that I call prioritize to pulverize, which is basically like baby steps. I broke it down literally, Kelsey, by the day because it felt more manageable that way. Uh, And I think with all of this stuff, it's really important to not overwhelm yourself, like out of the gate being like, okay, today I'm going to get my 
all my financial shit together. Like I will not rest until it is done. I tried to do that the first time I was looking at my taxes and I ended the day with like a full bottle of wine downed and a pint of ice cream and there were no taxes done. And then I went back to it and instead I said, okay, well, day one, all I'm going to do literally is uncrinkle my receipts. That's it. And then that is victory. And then the next day I'm going to put them in little baby piles and that's it. And so I think when you start giving yourself credit for these little wins, you're more likely to stick to it. So I would say we all, you know, have financial problems. For me, the model of my books are choose your own adventure, 12 step plans. And, you know, we can go back to step one. We can start at step five. I think at different points along the way, when you have like a baby on the way, you're going to need something else. If you want to buy a house, you're going to need something else. So I think it's figuring out where you specifically are in your own financial journey and then understanding not to get like too woo woo because I believe that, you know, we can't just like sit and manifest money all day long. (laughs) That's not going to do anything for us. But the biggest enemy for financial issues is between our ears. So it's trying to figure out what's standing in your way. Like what is the greatest hit you're telling yourself? The most common ones are, I don't know math. People will say like, I'm not a math girl. I'm not a numbers girl or guy. Mm -hmm. I don't have enough money to start and I'm too old. So let's tackle those. So I started as a poetry major. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Wow. Do you ever dabble in poetry anymore? I do. I love poetry and like sneak attack. There's some iambic pentameter in some of my books and it just makes me happy. And like a lot of the tips I give are in alliteration and, you know, whatever. So that kind of stuff works. It totally works. So like prioritize to pulverize. I break down a spending plan or like a budget. I think of it, it's easier to think of it as a spending plan because you allow yourself small indulgences. You don't end up binging later on. Like a budget feels like a crash diet. Uh, Mm -hmm. A spending plan is something that's sustainable. Like you allow yourself the equivalent of a Hershey's kiss. So you don't end up binging on a big old hunk of chocolate cake in the middle of the night because you're so hungry and so deprived. And then I break down like goals into the three Fs. So I'm here for the alliteration, but like I (laughs) knew... I had a graphing calculator, as I'm sure we all did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We did not need it. Uh, we don't need it for getting our financial lives together. Good to a know. A fifth grader can do the math that's needed for this. It's the okay. humanities part that really gets in the way. It's like, you know, the stories you tell yourself that you, you can't do it or whatever financial trauma you had. Like, I had a ton of financial trauma. I recently, my latest book, Miss Independent, talked about bailing my mother out of jail with cash, like under the sink behind the maxi pads. And so that was my, those are some of my first memories with money, which obviously like had an effect on how I handled money in the future. I saw my house foreclosed on as a kid. And so that affected the way I looked at housing. And we have macro traumas. You know, if we live through the dot-com bubble or the housing crash uh, or the pandemic, that's going to color how you look at money or your friend group, like if they hoard or if they hide purchases from their significant others, that's going to influence you. So I think all of that is going to have an impact on you. It's not the math stuff. So like, let's get that out of the way. And then don't have enough money to start is totally not true. I can give you an example of what compound interest does when it works in your favor. It's amazing. We've seen it work against us in the financial system. I did early on with the debt, the way that 
credit card debt snowballs out of control is because of this thing called compound interest. And it sucks when it's used against you, but it's amazing when it you can use it in your favor and you can have your money work for you and literally grow while you're doing nothing. And so the thing that you need most is not a lot of money to start. It's time. So the most time possible will make your money grow the most. And the I'm too old situation is like, okay, well, you're never as young as you are today. And as far as I'm concerned, today is as good a day as any. That's very true. It's obviously no secret that Cody and I got married in February. And through the whole process of like planning the wedding and whatnot, I feel like I learned so much about so many random things that I never knew I would know about, whether it was like flowers or napkins or tablecloths or whatever it is. But something I actually learned a lot about that I wasn't expecting to learn about was diamonds. And some of the things I learned are so interesting. Like, did you know you can actually tell the difference between a laboratory grown diamond and a natural diamond? Laboratory grown diamonds are mass produced in factories in just a few weeks and are easily detectable from their distinct patterns. Natural diamonds are over a billion years old, which is just insane. Like, that's wild. It's actually so cool to me and so special to be able to look at your jewelry and know you're wearing something that's over a billion years old. It blows my mind. My absolute favorite thing I learned, though, about buying natural diamonds is that you are supporting the livelihoods of over 10 million people worldwide and 80% of the value of every rough diamond remains in local communities and supports infrastructure, healthcare, education, and environmental protection. So next time you're celebrating a special moment in your life, you want to get something to commemorate it, a little piece of jewelry or something, remember to choose a natural diamond because of the good they put back into the communities. And the diamond industry has undergone significant positive transformation over the past 20 plus years. These diamonds are naturally and ethically sourced. So for more information on natural diamonds, visit naturaldiamonds.com. A lot of people who were asking about like how to start were, were kind of saying like, how do I start as a college student? How do I start like when I'm not really making that much money? Like when I don't have much to start with to begin with. I think a lot of the people who were asking that were like, like someone said, as a 19 year old. So they're kind of in like, they're kind of in the college age realm. So I think, what would you say to like a college student who wants to start saving and all of that kind of stuff? Oh my God, girl, if I could go back to my 19 year old self, I would be so stoked to put away a hundred bucks a month, you have no idea how much that would grow. You can just go to Google and ask for a compound interest calculator and check it out over time. But I can give you a basic example. If you start when you're 25 and you put a hundred dollars away every single month, so we're not talking about a lot of money and you invested in the market and we can get into that, but that would be like an S&P 500 index fund, which probably sounds like gibberish to a lot of listeners, but we can double click on that later. If you put it in the market and over time, the stock market will yield you seven to 8% inflation adjusted. So don't forget about inflation. Because if you're not doing anything with your money, over time, you're losing money because historically inflation is 3%. So your purchasing power is less. So if you put $100 in the market every single month when you're 25, by the time you retire, you'll have a million dollars. This is $100 a month. That's it. Yeah. If you Mm -hmm. start instead when you're 35 instead of 25, that would be $12,000 less, right? 100 times 12 times Mm -hmm. 10. 
But by the time you retire, you have $300,000. So like $300,000 is a lot of money, but it's not a million dollars because it's not growing on itself. So just start. If you, I mean, the fact that you're even asking this, whoever is like sending in these questions, I was not thinking about this when I was 19. So you're already ahead of the curve, I feel, because I like, like I just said, I didn't, I had a savings account, but I don't know. I just didn't, that was all I knew that I had. Like, I didn't know what to be doing with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I feel like to be even asking that as night at 19 is like off to a good start. That's right. You know? Yeah. You're doing great. We're all doing exactly. great. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, so I would say, what? Where? Where would you want to go next? Would you want to go like credit slash credit cards? Would you want to go debt? Would you want to? How should? What would be like the next thing to tackle? I think debt budgeting. First. So yeah, before you start thinking about investing, you want to compare the interest rates. So if the interest rates that you are paying on your debt is higher than what you would be making, you want to tackle that first because there's kind of then no point of investing it if you're paying all this money with debt. So is there a specific question with debt? Yeah. I mean, people were asking, someone asked which, like, what should you pay off first when, and like, what's the most effective way to pay off debt once you start making money? And that like, that's what I saw. I saw a few questions just saying like, now that I have a little bit of money, where should I start mm-hmm. when it, in terms of like paying things off? Yeah. So that's a great question. Not all debt is created equal. So there are two methods. I can tell you about both of them, or I could just tell you about the one that I like. Uh, the one that I like <laughs> is called the avalanche method or my prioritized to pulverize method. So I had credit card debt when I got my first big job. And I was was so overwhelmed by the interest rate. It was like 20% on a credit card. But I also had, you know, other kinds of debt. And so the avalanche method is ranking your debt from the highest interest rate first. And always that's going to be your credit card. Then it would be a car loan or note. Then it would be probably a mortgage if you had one. And then your student debt. So that would usually be the order that you want to tackle it. And I say like, they can take away your, why they, it's like creditors can take away your house. They can take away your car. They can take away your stuff. They can't take away your brain. So like student debt is the last, but credit card debt and some experts, I'll just say the other method is the snowball method where they'll say like, if you have a bunch of bills, pay the littlest off first. So you'll gather momentum. And I think that's bullshit because can I swear in this class? Yes, of course. Oh, okay, okay, great. Class okay. loves swearing. Okay, okay, good. Okay. Yeah. That's bullshit because you're not actually paying off the thing that's accruing interest the fastest. Yes, it's like feng shui or whatever, cathartic to cut up a $100 bill if you had 100 bucks, right? It's organized. But it's it's not, I think, the best way to tackle debt because maybe that $100 bill is for student debt growing at 2% and you have like you know, a $150 bill growing at 20%, right? So you would want to take $100 and put that toward the $150 bill instead. And so it's important to just go through and understand what your interest rates are first. And so rank them and then tackle the highest first. And then you can set up, you know, automatic deposit, which is what I did. And I broke mine down to like $7 a day. And so that felt really 
manageable for me. And then I just had that automatically come out of my my account until it was done. And then I just swore it was never going to happen again. Like once I got the debt monkey off my back, so to speak, I was like, I, I can't go back here because everything else felt unmanageable when I had that hanging over my head. Yeah, that makes sense. How this, I don't know, this, when you're looking for those interest rates and you want to compare which has the higher interest rate, like how do you find that information? They're usually on your statements or like if you have a portal or something like that, or you can call Yeah, and just make sure you know what they are. Yeah, that's, that's very, very helpful. And if you want, if there's a specific question on credit, that's how your credit, so you and I are not going to drinks like sitting around comparing the APR on our credit card. <laughs> right. But they're not all the same. Good. Yeah. So like your APR is not the same as my APR. Right. They're just not a blanket thing. They're connected to your credit score. So the better okay. your credit score is, the lower your interest rate is. It's like a seesaw. That out in totally the makes sense. Yeah, exactly. That completely makes sense. There are some questions about credit. Cool. Like, one is just how to build your credit mm-hmm. and like, let's see, like how to build credit, how to not get bad credit or change, like how to change your credit score if it's lower than you would like. Yeah. Those types of questions. Yeah. What's what's cool is that it's really in your power. Uh, it's not set in stone, but it is kind of like your financial report card, but it's not your final transcript. Like it's something that you can constantly work on doing credit hygiene to get the lowest interest rates. And if you're going to make a big purchase, you're going to want to think about this and do like double time on some of that hygiene before you lock in like a mortgage or something like that. But the okay. biggest part of your score is like paying your bills on time. And so not to sound patronizing, but make sure that like everything is set up on auto pay. Um, yeah. You know, even like a missed payment or if it was a mistake or it didn't go to the right place or, you know, whatever can really ding your score. The other part of the credit score is your utilization rate, which is just a fancy term for saying like how much credit you have versus how much you're using. So if you have, you know, $20,000 of a credit limit, you shouldn't be maxing out $20,000 and spending that. You're going to want to spend like $5,000 of that to show creditors that you're responsible. Like if you have a big line of credit that you can, you can not, you know, get out of control with it. So those are some of the the biggest things, the mix of credit that you have as part of your credit score. And the higher it is, the lower your interest rate, the APR is, you know, the acronym for the interest rate on your credit cards specifically, but like if you're getting a business loan, if you're getting any type of loan, any debt that you're taking on will have lower interest rates if Mm -hmm. you have higher score because it will show creditors you're responsible Yeah, and more likely to pay them back. Right. People were also asking like the best way to pay off a credit card, which you kind of just covered. And they asked like, should you do auto or should you pay the entire thing or should you do it in smaller increments? And then they were also asking about a balance transfer. 
that and then you you did kind of answer it already so maybe i don't need to find it but i I mean if you have all the money to pay it off like get on with your bad self go pay the whole shebang off i didn't when i was tackling my credit card debt but a balance transfer is like when you smush a lot of the different types of debt you have onto a lower interest rate credit card debt and sometimes they have offers that are like zero percent so it kind of stops the clock on that interest accumulating but Usually after a year or so, they shoot way up. So you want to make mm-hmm. sure you have a plan for the time like that debt is on a balance transfer card. Okay, that that makes sense. I remember the other question. It was like, you mentioned the credit limit, mm-hmm. how close you should get to that limit. Yeah. People were asking about that. And I, it is a good question because I feel like I see that and I'm like, oh, I can, I have, I can spend so much money, but it's like, <laughs> right. that's not actually responsible. I hesitate to give this advice because if you're using credit responsibly, and by the way, you should, even if you're paying your credit card off in full every single month, negotiate down the APR on your credit card, you can. And when your credit score improves, you can call your credit card company and say like, hey, I've been an awesome customer. I've paid on time. Hopefully you have. I'd like to lower the APR on my credit card. And if you've done some of that work on your credit score, they will. And that's okay. just important to have in case you will start you know, paying less than the entire thing off every single month. Um, Mm -hmm. And so in that same negotiation, and I'm like scared to say this, but also ask for a credit increase if you can, but don't use all of it. So like if you think about it from just, you know, basic math, right? Like if you're trying to stay within 30%-ish of your full credit, you can spend some more if you if you do it responsibly, if you have a higher credit limit, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you had $100,000, you could spend $30,000 or something like that. Right. But if you had $30,000, you wouldn't want to spend $30,000. So if you can get a higher limit but not use it, that will help your credit score. Okay. I mean, that completely makes sense. And like, I think that like I had a such, a, I used to have such a low credit score and I was always like, paying off like the bare minimum that I possibly could on my credit cards, just trying to like make ends meet. And and, But like, I didn't even know any of that. And I just feel like knowing that you are able to call and talk to someone and like do certain things like that is so is so helpful because I think it's intimidating to like make that phone call or feel like you can advocate for yourself in that situation. But it's coming from you. It's great to know that like it's like normal and possible and okay to do. It's totally normal, possible and okay to do. It's more than okay to do. It's it's great to do. I recorded myself talking to my my MX lady <laughs> on one of the episodes. So you can hear how I did it. Cause I think in theory, like we know that we should be doing these things. We should negotiate for our our credit card, APR, we should negotiate our salary, we should negotiate all these things. But like, then we're like, God damn, what do I say? Like, totally. (laughs) And so I try to like come up with scripts or little catchphrases that you can say the biggest one for a credit card. If you take nothing else out of this episode, remember retention credit and you can threaten to leave and ask for a retention offer, which is what I did in, in the most recent time that I argued with Amex. And so they gave me like, they they waived the annual fee 
that I was paying. Yeah. They gave me like a statement credit. They they'll, nice. they can give you different things. And depending yeah. on when you call, they will definitely hook you up to retain you as a customer. Because think about it, like it's really expensive to acquire a customer. So they would rather throw you a bone than lose you as a customer, but ask for, yeah. and sometimes they have like a whole retention department. Right. That's amazing. It's also amazing that you recorded yourself. I feel like that's like the perfect learning tool is just to like see someone else do it and see how you handled the situation. Ever since the moment I decided to put myself out there online, uh, my life completely changed. And it was then that I really wanted to make people feel like they, like anything is possible, you know? Anyone who has a desire to start a brand, sell a product, post content, any dream you're holding on to, just go for it because I could have never dreamed up my life turning out the way it has. And you just really never know where putting yourself out there will take you in life. And a service that has helped me so much with starting because the starting part was the scariest part to me, but something that helped me so much is Squarespace. They are very beginner friendly and easy to use. Truly, if I can use it, Anyone can use it, whether you're looking to sell a product, post content, grow a brand, Squarespace is the perfect place to do so. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. They make it easy for you if you're just starting out. They have features like the flexible website templates with designs for any category you can think of that you can easily customize and update. Like starting a website, the idea of that was so intimidating, but they make it so easy. And my personal few favorite features have been the video collection, the asset library, and the custom merch. So the video collection allows me to like organize my video content easily. The asset library lets me upload, organize, and access all of my content in one place. So things are just organized and simple. And custom merch allows me to easily sell my merch to my audience. They just make it so easy to create a beautiful website for any endeavor you are starting. It's the best. Take the leap. Try it out. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash circle time to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain using code circle time. When you're looking for a credit card, because there are so many options and so many, you know, there's perks and there's the payments and there's just so many certain things that you should look for. What do you recommend somebody looks for in finding a credit card? That works for them. I think some of the best perks of having a credit card are just like the basic perks of having a credit card versus using a debit card, which is like purchase protection, which is like if you lose your debit card and somebody spends money on it, it's really hard to get that money back. Mm -hmm. A lot of credit cards will have warranties on appliances. I know this is like not fun, sexy stuff, but it comes in really handy, like insurance, hook, you know help with travels stuff, chargebacks, like if somebody screws you. So I think using, you know, being a debit devotee when you're starting to like put your financial training wheels on is is what some experts will say you do, which I understand or take your, you know, budget out in cash so you can see like physically what what you're budgeting and when the cash is done the party's over. But the protections of having a credit card are super super important for like, you know, fraud type stuff or, yeah. you know, those types of protections. If you're going to travel to, you know, I personally, they they don't pay me. They can if they want to. But like I have Delta Amex, so you'll hear that. And I just, you know, I used to live on a plane. So that worked for me. But yeah, that type of stuff is like window dressing. Whatever is there like a, 
like a certain credit card that you recommend for someone who like is just getting like wants to open their first one? Is there certain things that they should look for? Yeah. In. Yeah. If you can't open like an adult credit card, you can get a credit builder card or a secured credit card, which is basically like backed by the cash. So you can, you know, start getting more and more of a limit if you have, you know, messed up your credit or have, you know, had a bankruptcy or something else that's that's mm-hmm. hindering your ability to get more credit. So that would just be a secured credit card. Okay. Would you recommend, because I also saw people saying like, I don't have any credit. I don't know where to start that journey. Would something like that be a recommendation from you or like where, how do you, what should you do? Because I remember my dad, like we were talking about student loans and whatnot when I was in college and he was like, this will help your credit. And so is there like, for someone who has not started building any credit yet, like where would where would you recommend they start? Well, I wouldn't take out debt to build credit. Like that's yeah. like letting the tail wag the dog, right? And it's <laughs> just don't take it on for like the sake of having a higher credit score. But if you're just starting out, yeah. And if you have awesome parents who could like add you on their credit card to help, you know, boost it up, that could be a way to go. You don't have like no credit. Everybody's going to have something. So the question of, you know, that is just checking it. And the first time I looked at my credit reports, like they were on my counter forever and ever. I was so, so scared to open them. But I think oftentimes, Kelsey, like we suffer more in imagination than in reality in, in so many ways in life. It's very true. But finances in particular, like I was so scared, you know, I think in my like late teens, early 20s to open these credit reports from Equifax, Experian, TransUnion. These are the big credit Mm -hmm. bureaus. I don't know what I thought I would find in there. Like, you're going to jail now. Like, I don't know. Truly, it's it's so terrifying to look at. And it was fine. Even when I get an email from like Credit Karma now, it's like (laughs) your score changed. I'm like, oh my God, what happened? Right. What's going on? Yeah, it's 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 scary. For sure. I would like break out into hives. Like my armpits are sweating even like thinking about it right now. (laughs) But it's real. Like that stuff is so real. And it's, it's usually in your imagination. Like, you know, I think that the avoidance is like a technique for a lot of these things to tackle, but it ultimately doesn't help you. And once I finally opened my credit reports, I found that there were errors on it. And so there was like another person with my name who didn't pay a doctor's office in God knows where that I had never been to before. And I ended up just calling the office and being like, yo, this wasn't me. And so it came off like that negative mark came off my credit report. And you would only know that if you like looked at it, looked at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot easier to just like dive in and figure it out rather than avoid it, which it's a lot easier to avoid it. Well, that's true. It's a lot easier once you dive in. Totally. But I am, I have avoided these kind of things, I feel like for a long time because it's just intimidating. And yeah, but then once you're in it, then it is not as scary as you, as you think it is. Totally. Especially with like this financial stuff, like you're not going to get arrested. I promise. (laughs) I would think like, oh my God, my taxes. Like I, I would probably overpay on my taxes because I was like, I don't want to go to jail. Like you're not going to jail. We had an IRS auditor on the show who was like the nicest lady. (laughs) 
like yeah oh my god poor lady probably gets such a bad rep totally and you know like these things I don't know what movies we've been watching or like what we've been told but it's it's not as bad as it is in your imagination I promise and like these things are all figure outable and they're I have just been so surprised how easily figure outable a lot of these like financial issues. And I've had all the financial issues, Kelsey. Like I figured it out the hard way. I didn't work at a bank. It didn't get my MBA. Like I just went to the school of hard knocks and I was like, you know, this is completely bananas that we don't learn this stuff in school. We learn, you know, how to do the Pythagorean theorem, which we'll never need to know ever. Totally. Um, Like, I learned how to dissect a frog, which was so vile. (laughs) Right. I'll never forget it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I I feel like I don't know. But then again, like I even at my when I was in high school, we were like required to take an economics class. Mm, Cool. And I couldn't tell you a single thing I learned. And so sometimes I feel like we're like I might have learned it in school, but I wasn't I didn't think it applied to me yet. Mm. And so I wasn't like 100 percent paying attention. But it's nice that there's people like you that can teach us when we're ready to pay attention That's right. and when the time is is now. That's right. Uh, you know, and maybe you did. I, I took economics classes in college. Like I went to like a fancy school and paid a lot of money for my brain and still didn't learn how to do a budget or do a business plan or do my taxes. And so like this economic theory BS, like Keynesian economics, I maybe learned, but like I didn't learn the stuff of like how to call the Amex people and get a retention credit and, and the more practical things. But like that's, look, you know, I think I like to approach this stuff, the combination of forgiveness and tough love. You know, this this is like in DBT, which I love in psychology, this dialectic. There are two things can be true at the same time. You can forgive mm-hmm. your former self for what she didn't know. Like your parents mm-hmm. didn't ta- teach you. You didn't learn it in school. Like, fine. I forgive that girl who, you know, got a bunch of credit card debt you know, didn't start saving or didn't start investing. Like, I love her. She did the best she could with the information she had. But now you have more information. And so it's not okay moving forward. And so, you know, just because it's been done a certain way doesn't mean that's the way it has to be. Like, you get to decide what a financial diet looks like in your life, despite whatever your parents did, whether they, like, went on a lot of vacations or they, like, penny pinch or look for coupons or like dug for coins in the couch, like whatever was shown to you, like we get it. That's, you know, maybe it was great. Maybe beautiful financial habits were displayed for you and you want to continue those, but chances are they weren't. And so now you get to decide. Now you get to write the story. And when you have kids, you know, they're watching you. Like, yeah, I get questions from parents all the time. Like, how do I raise financially responsible kids? And I say, yeah. like, are you financially responsible? Like, honestly, right? because they're going to watch you. They're going to watch everything you do. You, like, forget about sitting down and teaching them Keynesian economics. Like, right. do you, like, do you, you know, go crazy at the store with the credit card and say, like, don't tell dad or whatever. Like, they're going right. to watch all of that. Yeah. I know I do think about that often, you know, now that I am going to be a mom. And I'm like, I just hope, I just hope that I learn, lead by example the right way. And I know what I'm doing and 
I feel like I'm kind of learning or I'm starting to learn. I think it'll be great. It'll be fine. It'll be so fine. It'll be more than fine. (laughs) Yeah. All right. It is no secret that I love to shop. You know, I'm a big shopper. I'm always looking on my phone, shopping online. I just, I love clothes. But as I've gotten older, I really have wanted to kind of go the more like timeless classic wardrobe vibe instead of just having like a revolving closet with the current trends. I really want to just like add those timeless classic pieces into my closet. But a lot of these luxury goods and these classics are obviously pricey um, or they're like fast fashion and I don't want to go that route either. So that is why I love using Quince. Quince brings luxury, timeless products at radically low prices. They create timeless classics that never go out of style that you can have in your closet forever. How it works basically is Quince partners directly with top factories, which cuts the cost of the middleman out of the equation and passes the savings to you, making these items 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Another reason I love Quince is that they only partner with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics. So you're really getting like that high quality stuff for way cheaper. It's amazing. Something I've gotten from Quince that I absolutely love is this cashmere crew neck sweater. Got it last year and I'm excited that it's finally fall time so I can start wearing it again because it's just so cozy. It goes with everything. I love it. Another thing I've gotten staple is an oversized leather jacket was looking everywhere for one and they're all just so expensive uh but my quince jacket was just 149.99 which is like a fraction of the cost and it's everything i wanted the quality is amazing the stuff is just great i really really highly recommend quince to everyone even my mom loves it she gets stuff off of there it's just the best get affordable luxury with quince go to quince.com slash circle time for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns that's q-u-i-n-c-e.com slash circle time to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash circle time can we talk about budgeting and like saving a little bit? Yes, please. Because this is, I think this is something that everybody, no matter, like anybody can benefit from. But a lot of the questions I was getting that I was also like, yeah, I, I would love to know this as well, mm-hmm. was just kind of about both budgeting and saving. A lot of people were wondering, like, what would you recommend to be the best method to budget and like is there an app you use is there a spreadsheet type of thing you use what is your what is your approach and what do you think is like the simplest easiest way to start budgeting yeah I don't use an app personally there are a lot of apps the only app that I would recommend for you is the one you'll actually stick to and use yeah and what ends up happening sometimes is like if I would sit here and recommend some like whiz bang cool new app and then you just like used it you know just like the vitamins that I have sitting here like I think I'm gonna use all my turmeric or whatever when I buy it and it's sitting there like I'm I'm like I'm gung-ho like every day (laughs) anti-inflammation yeah and it doesn't you don't stick to it and for me like when I was starting out I literally used like a pink colored pencil because it just gave me joy to do it that way and so whatever you'll stick to is how you should do it I use just like a spreadsheet I have a download I'm not trying to like it's free. Like You can use mine if you want. I have it out there. But I like to break it down into 
like I mentioned before, the three E's, so essentials, endgame, and extras, where 70% of your overall spending plan, so your take-home pay, goes to the essentials, so your your food, your housing, your transportation, all that stuff. And of the essentials, no more than half of that, so 35% of the whole shebang, or half of your essentials, to housing. So like when you're thinking about how much you should be spending for rent, that's a good Mm -hmm. rule of thumb. But those were, that was a common question too. Okay, good. Yeah. And then 15% to the end game. So future Kelsey, like everything you're saving for, uh, your retirement, your investments, like your trip to Mexico, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And then 15% to the extras. So the latte, the mani patty, like stuff that will keep you on track and keep you from binging later on. In the beginning of the year, I get a lot of people who will say like, oh my God, Nicole, you'll be so proud of me. And I just took a sip of my latte, by the way. I cut out the morning latte. Like I'm going cold turkey. I'm like going to tackle this this year. New me, new you. New, yeah. no, new, new year, new me. New year, new me. Yeah. <laughs> and then come, you know, June, they say, yeah, it was so good. So I got a Gucci purse. Because I was right. just like so good <laughs> yeah. and I had to reward myself. I'm like, yeah. you could have bought all, all the lattes. You could have bought a Starbucks franchise right. probably. And so <laughs> account for those small indulgences. Like you should do fun little things for yourself. Just like account for it. Keep it within yeah. reason. And so like the latte is just an example. If you hate coffee, like whatever makes your heart right. happy. Whatever makes you happy, yeah. Yeah, I think a big question I saw was just like, can I still treat myself to the things that I like or should that be like the first thing that I remove? I think a lot of times it's like people think that they have to stop doing something instead yeah. of just like readjust what they're already doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, in life, like relationships, the little things matter a lot. Yeah. You know, the voice note that I just got from my friend, you know, that's a really wonderful thing that enriches our relationship. In finances, it's the big things that matter. It's not the little things. Whoever started this thing of like, you know, clipping coupons and and cutting out the latte is ridiculous. And, And that's part of why I went into doing this to try to help other people because it felt so scary. And also it felt really lopsided and incorrect. Like you should buy the latte and you should focus on getting a better credit score because over time, like what's going to save you more money or what's going to grow you more money? Having a better credit score, which like if you have a little bit of a lower rate on a mortgage, that could be thousands of dollars over the life of the mortgage or anything. That's all the lattes in all the land. And so (laughs) I think with finances, like it's really focusing on the big things and not the little things. Like cutting out a morning latte has never made anyone a millionaire, period. The end. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's so helpful to hear this kind of stuff because it, you do hear like if you just don't get your coffee in the morning and you save that $5 soon enough, that'll add up and you, whatever it is. But, but then you'll be upset. And then like, you will fuss with the filters and you'll burn yourself and you'll be totally. Like, and then yeah. you won't get to work on time and happy and excited and motivated to get a raise. And like, no, it all, it all latte. coincides. Yeah. Have the latte, have it. I just finished mine or else I would show mine Cheers. as well. Is having a monthly budget. Someone said, is that realistic or is it like, is do you do this month by month or is it more like general, you know, how much income you have? And so you just kind of 
you know, wanes and whatever months, some months are different. Some months you're paying for other stuff or is it is or should you do stick to it month by month? A little bit of both. So when people say like, oh, my God, but how could I have known that my tires, you know, went out or that like I needed a root canal or, you know, whatever. I couldn't budget for that. Yeah, you could. Like I have, you know, in my savings account, I have sub savings accounts. And so I think when you label your savings accounts, you can visualize what it's going to. So it doesn't feel like this scary, deep, dark abyss of like all my money is going somewhere. I'm never going to see it. So I'm like, I really like an organization. I have the box that my label maker is in has a label that says label maker. So you don't <laughs> have it. to, you don't have to go that, you know, crazy, but I have like a broken iPhone fund. And so every month I put $25 in my broken iPhone fund and okay. inevitably like over time, once a year I've dropped my iPhone, like, Yeah, you know? And so when I do, when Miss Butterfingers here does, like <laughs> I will have something there. And so yes, emergencies, will happen. It's not like Mm -hmm. if, but it's when. And so accounting for those things, if you look at your history or like you think about, you know, having something tucked away for that is really important. It's not going to, and then it doesn't throw you off when it happens. Right. Does that fall in, do those type of things fall into like the 15% that you save for like future you? Or is that like a different type of future you? Well, you get to just, what's cool is like, you get to make the rules. And so you're destined to win the game. So like for me, the broken iPhone fund is in the essentials. Cause that for me is like, you know, my cell phone and and that, and those basic bills, utility bills, all that stuff is in, is in an essentials budget or like a health, you know, whether you know, you can maybe have a health savings account or other vehicles through work or a flexible savings account or something like that, an HSA or an FSA, if that helps you with some of your medical expenses, or you can just have something that you're putting it away. I am going to be negotiating. I had to go in an ambulance. I'm I'm fine, but I got the bill and I almost had another panic attack. And so I'm going to negotiate that on my show. But yeah, that was crazy. That was, I think, or something ridiculous. And so, you know, emergencies happen, stuff that's not covered by insurance. And so I would put it in essentials if you can, or, you know, wherever you want, as long as you stay consistent with it. Okay. Speaking of savings, how, like, I guess you kind of just explained this, but like, how can you set up a realistic savings plan? And like, what type of savings account do you recommend or what should you use for saving? It's back to like whatever you will stick to is what you should use. Honestly, all of the big banks and things are pretty much the same. If you're Mm -hmm. opening one today, I would just look and see, you know, what's giving the highest interest rate in a saving, in a high yield savings account. And, and typically the online only banks will have higher interest rates because think about it like they're not paying for overhead, you know, the the branch and the mints and the pens at the, yeah. you know, whatever. So they, right. they're able to pass some of that back over to you in the form of interest. So I think they're like which bank is totally up to you. And like, if you're thinking about, you know, investing in a CD right now, which is a certificate of deposit, which goes through your bank account, I would check what's the highest interest rate. They fluctuate all the time. So 
search for that. And then whatever you do, I would just come up with a system once and set it and forget it. Like once you come up with this plan, you don't need to keep dealing with it all the time. I do not sit in front of stock charts all day long. Like I Mm -hmm. have set up a plan and set up a system for things to go automatically where they're supposed to go. And every once in a while, like you sort of prune the hedges and you Mm -hmm. adjust, but you don't need to be obsessing over it. You just need to like set it, set the scaffolding, set the structure up once. Yeah. Okay. Do you have like, someone wants to know three things to focus on if you're looking to be proactive about saving or and like be proactive about your financial freedom? Three things. Let's if do it. If you have three or more or less. <laughs> um, I have all the things. Yeah, I think that the one that helped me was labeling. And so it helped me like visualize what I was saving for. So mm-hmm. you can you can label those accounts, create like the direct deposit. So if you don't see it coming out of your paycheck, you you know, you're not tempted to spend it. So it's foolproof. I think that once you start seeing your money grow, it becomes very addicting. Like it's the best addiction to have, you know, in watching those numbers grow for just your money, like making money for you. Because when you put money into a bank, it's not sitting there in gold bars behind some beautiful cinematic (laughs) vault, right? Your bank is is using your money. They're doing their own investments. And so for the privilege of them playing with your money, they give you interest. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so if you have money, like that money should make money because it's, it's not charity. It's your money is helping these big banks in a lot of cases make more money. And so once you start just seeing interest, like accumulate, I, I just looked at you know, some interest that I was earning on treasury bonds, which we can talk about if you want. And I was like, damn, okay. Like, cool. I just bought them. And like, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a lovely little, little present. And when we talk about, you know, the average millionaire has seven streams of income, you know, oftentimes people want to know, like, how do I have all these side hustles or all these streams of income? Well, the easiest one is to have dividends or interest paying you like mm-hmm. mailbox money because that's yeah doesn't require you know a drop ship it doesn't require like you doing a video on Instagram like it just right. is fun great money that if you set it up well is an awesome other stream of income to have yeah I think this kind of leads us into like investing a little bit and I feel like personally I think that like investing I think is the most confusing part of all of this because like you know budgeting and saving like that's all money that you can see almost in a sense whereas sometimes with investing like it feels like you can't you don't know what's going to happen all the time and so it it just seems a little bit trickier and and like almost less safe even though you should be investing but like it feels like you're it's it's just scary I think but like I know that it's something that we should be doing. So I just want to talk about it like a little bit. Like, first of all, just when to start investing and where to like how to get your foot in the door, what the best way to where you should like first, like where you should make that first investment and what you should be doing when you're like just starting out. Yeah. So your base salary is never going to grow 
real wealth over time. Like it's not what you make, but what you save and earn that ultimately grows long-term real wealth, generational wealth. Right. Your salary, like your base salary, even if you get all the raises, there's a thing called lifestyle creep where your nice to haves become your need to haves. And like I've seen it where people make, you know, six figures and higher six figures and seven figures and all this money, but their expenses get higher. So they're actually saving even less. And so getting into the habit of putting money in a brokerage, which would be like the difference between where you put your savings in a bank, uh, a brokerage is where you go shopping for investments. And so the difference would be like a bank is, you know, Bank of America, you know, whatever, Citibank, all, all of those, the, the usual suspects. Uh, a brokerage would be like Schwab or E-Trade or Fidelity or Vanguard or something like that. Okay. And so opening up a brokerage, you might have one if you work at a company and you have a 401k. If not, you can just open one yourself for very little to start. Uh, you know, what's what's cool now is that the, the commissions are basically nothing. Uh, you don't need a high minimum to start. And so, you know, I go back to the, you're never as young as you are today and you can start for very little and let that money grow for you over time. Like, yes, it's scary. Yes, it feels like a roller coaster, but like you don't get off in the middle of a roller coaster. You just put your blinders on. And, you know, the emotion is real. Uh, the the A couple of the like truisms on Wall Street, there aren't many, but one is buy low, sell high. The problem is you don't know where the low is and you don't know where the high is. So there are things that you can do to safeguard yourself from that or like take advantage of that. But typically like the impetus is, oh my God, the stock market is in the shitter. It's time to sell and panic. But actually that's a time when things are on sale and we've never not recovered from a single recession or depression in US history. And it feels like you'll never get out of it. But damn, like I wish I personally put a ton more money during the pandemic in like airline stocks and There were circuit breakers and like we all thought the world was ending. It all came back, you know. And so and if you bought at those lows, you made a lot more. And so if you try to really stick to what the rules are around this and not let emotion drive you, you'll do really well. But you can't get off in the middle. So like the seven or eight percent that I mentioned that you'll get in the stock market is over time. And so you want to look at that as like not the the not quick money that I'm going to get, you know, in a couple of months, but like over years I'm going to get that return uh in the stock market. So like where do you start? I mentioned before with that example of like how compound interest can work in your favor and saying, you know, invest in an index fund instead of picking individual stocks, because even during the pandemic, I'd got questions like, should I buy Zoom or Peloton or whatever? Yeah. If you're a first-time investor, no, I you should buy an index fund. And so an index fund just tracks a big, you know, index uh, in, in, you know, the case of the S&P 500 index fund that I mentioned. Like, if you've heard on the news, the Dow is up or the Dow is down or the NASDAQ mm-hmm. or the S&P 500 is down. Those are indexes. So when you buy an index fund, you're buying like a little piece of those companies. So like the S&P 500, you're buying like a bit of what all those 500, the biggest 500 companies 
that are publicly traded, you're buying like a little bit of them. And so that, I like that for a lot of reasons. Like it diversifies your investment in one Mm -hmm. purchase. And then also if a company sucks, they get kicked out of the S&P 500. Like you have to have certain criteria for that company to be part of the index. You can invest in different types of funds. So like an exchange traded fund. Stop me if it's getting too crazy, but no, you're, you're good still. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll let you know. Okay. Sweet. So like an exchange traded fund would be, you know, you can buy an index fund. I'm not giving these recommendations, but for instance, you find the ticker symbol associated with the the type of index fund you want to get. Like you can't open, let's say your Schwab account or your E-Trade account and type in, hey, Nicole told me to get an index fund and like just type in index fund. You need the ticker symbol and the ticker symbol is like the name of that investment. So, okay. So SPY is one fund that tracks the S&P 500. VOO is another fund that tracks that same index. And so that's like the destination or the address. Like you can't jump in the Uber without like the destination. Yeah. You're like, hey, we're going to a party in LA. I'm like, cool, cool. Kelsey, like I have questions. Like what are we, (laughs) what are we wearing? Where are Are we going? Um, Right. What's the address? And so that would be like the equivalent of the address of those funds. Uh, But that's a really good place to start investing. Okay. Questions, class. How much money, like when is the right, because I know people, especially like if you're in college or you're just starting to work and you're just starting to make an income, like when do you start investing in like an index fund, for example, Mm -hmm. but you're also trying to pay off your debt and you're, you're juggling a lot of things. Where, where do you, what do you do? How do you juggle all of it? So that's why like the steps are important because you have to tackle that higher interest rate debt before you start investing. I mean, just compare them, right? Like your credit card debt is 20%, let's say, and you're making 8%, let's say 10% in the stock market, right? Like you're going to be losing money if you're paying off that debt and then investing. So Once you get, I would say in order of importance would be, you know, a spending plan, your goals, by the way, because this all can't happen in a vacuum. It's like the let's go to a party, right? Yeah. Where are we going? (laughs) Like, you don't want a million dollars. What are some people are like, yeah, I I know my goals. Like, I just want a million dollars. Cool. Well, what do you want to do with that million dollars? I have no idea. Maybe you need more than a million dollars. Maybe you need less than a million dollars. Like, First, figure out the life you want and then reverse engineer to figure out the money to get the life you want. And don't just come up with like an arbitrary number because you think it's cool. Like, yeah, dreams have price tags. Like first think of what you want. And that's why I break those down into the three Fs. So like family finance and fun. And so I broke down like one, three, five, seven, 10 year goals because like, again, like little baby steps. I used to get so much anxiety when people would ask me what I wanted to do in five or 10 years. And I'd I'd like choke up, but having like very clear goals will hold, will give you a roadmap to where you're going. Like maybe, I don't know, like you want to be a stay at home mom and maybe you want to fly private around the world. Maybe you want to be a on-call emergency room doctor. Your goals should be compatible, right? So like, I wish that teachers made more money, but you can't like in your finance goals want to be a teacher and in your fun goals want to, you know, fly around 
in a private jet. Like they're just not compatible. And so I think looking at your life in all aspects and thinking about what those price tags are is really important. And then tackling the debt and then figuring out, you know, basic savings. And so I like to think about savings based on risk. And so once you start, like you put your training wheels on or like you put the floaties on and you start with investments that are lower risk, like CDs that we talked about or high yield savings accounts or money market accounts. And then you go up to bonds or whatever, and those will give you higher interest rates mm-hmm. um, and be a little bit more risky. So the risk and the reward is also like a seesaw. So like the higher the risk, no, sorry, I lied. It's not a seesaw. It's all on the same side. The higher the risk, the higher the reward, the lower the risk, the lower the reward. And so I, I don't know where I am in the playground right now, but no, like if you are, so the highest risk would be crypto or or whatever, or venture capital investing. That the chance of you losing your money is really, really high, but the chance of you making a lot of money could potentially be high too. And so I would say once you're starting to invest, like start with the lower risk and the lower reward and then then move up. And also if you're younger, you have the time to potentially get in riskier investments, which would be stocks, right? Because they fluctuate so much, they would be considered you know, riskier than putting your money in a bank account, but you get more than like the 1% than you would be getting in a bank account. So the rule of thumb, if you're looking at like a basic investment portfolio, which would be stocks and bonds, so bonds being lower risk, uh, but lower reward, stocks would be a higher risk, higher reward. You would take your age and put that as a percentage of bonds. So if you're 30, you would put 30% of your portfolio in bonds, which would be safer, and 70% in stocks uh, because you have time before like you would need to take out that money in theory to weather the ups and downs of the market. Got it. Okay. That, I mean, that is extremely helpful. Good. And all of this has been so helpful. And I feel like even after listening to this, the circlers might have some more questions. So who knows? I might be reaching out to you again to help us even more. But this has just been so, so there's just so much to learn. And I feel like learning it from someone who is, talking like a normal person is really helpful. (laughs) So I can't thank you enough for answering all of these questions and for just chatting with us and helping us out. It really means a lot. And I know the circlers will appreciate it as well. And I do feel like you will be joining the circle again to dive a little bit deeper. Let's do it. Answer some more questions. As long as I can sit cross-legged, I'm here for this. I, I hope you're enjoying the cross-legged sitting. Love, not like. It's it's my favorite way to do it. You're in jeans too, so I commend you for the jean cross-legged sitting. You have a sitting. human in your body and you're doing it, so I think you well, win. Well, it's probably the most comfortable way to do it with him chilling here, mm. unless I was laying down, but I don't think that, I think I don't, that wouldn't be a very good host move of me. Like so this time, is, right? Exactly. We maybe we could start incorporating nap time into yeah. circle time. It's just just an hour of us all just no one talking, <laughs> just sleeping. 
Listen, I love snack time the most. So I would love to come back to the circle and have snack time. Oh my gosh. I would love that. We could do a little mukbang, mukbang, whatever you say it, when you like eat on video. It's like a whole category of YouTube videos. I would recommend it. I mean, some people are a little put off because there's a lot of chewing noises, but Mm. I love watching people eat (laughs) and eating. So we could we could incorporate the two next time for sure. Yes, please. Perfect. I should start like a whole category of like watching people spend money. You should. (laughs) You now we're talking. Is that a thing? Like I have no idea. Okay. But it could be. You should do just you recording yourself making these phone calls that everybody else is too scared (laughs) to make and then make that like an ASMR thing and people would really love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now we're on to something. we're doing it. That's a whole other side hustle. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. Do you want to tell the circlers where they can listen to you and find you and also like your books and everything else that you've done? All the things. You can listen to Money Rehab. It's a daily podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We cover all of this stuff and like also what's going on in money news. I also have a whole money network with different money shows uh, across money news network. Another show that I host that's career focused is with the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine called Help Wanted, where we answer your career questions and like it's a helpline. And yeah, I have four and a half books with more (laughs) book babies on the way, even though I said I would take book birth control. So Rich Bitch, Boss Bitch, (laughs) Becoming Superwoman, The Superwoman Journal, which is the half, and then Miss Independent. Amazing. And where can people find your spreadsheet, the budgeting spreadsheet that you mentioned? Because I'm sure people will want to know. Thank you. It's both at NicoleLappin.com or TheMoneySchool.com. Okay. Thanks. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This was so extremely helpful. And I really appreciate you taking all of these questions and taking your time to teach the circlers. Anytime. And we will talk soon. This I don't think this will be the last time we see you in the circle. So not. thank you very much. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.